Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today is our first show of the new year of 2019. So fun and so exciting. I hope everyone had a wonderful celebration. Uh, It was really fun, by the way, to sit in New York and see Sydney, Australia that is, uh, explode with fireworks and all sorts of fun and games, and London as well, many hours before we did here in New York, and the dropping of the ball. Well, you know, I actually don't live all that far away from Times Square and the ball, but For me, it's not a ball at all. For me, honestly, with all the hoopla aside, it's just a seasonal cyclical change from what we call one year into another. And it's fun to celebrate because it's fun to celebrate everything. But all that goes on, the uh, time, the energy, the thought forms, the expense, the emotional investment, for what? If we could take one fraction of that and put it towards something meaningful, like emptying our jails of people, prisons, penitentiaries, of people who do not belong there, of people who are mentally ill and need real help, of people who got caught with a bag of marijuana when they were in their teens and were in front of the wrong judge and end up doing, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 year sentences for nothing, really, at taxpayers' expense and to their uh, deep, soulful expense. Wow, would we be doing something meaningful? What if we were to take another fraction of that energy that's invested in the laughing and jumping around to celebrate something that happens every single day uh, is toward the beautiful goal of achieving world peace? Because how does that happen? Well, it doesn't really happen, I don't think, by sitting cross-legged for hours a day and praying and hoping and intending that the world change, although that is a very beautiful contribution, and you would know I would feel that way because of the way I feel about morphogenetic fields and influencing them and the quantum field. So that's all very, very real. But we live in a very concretist kind of world as well, where a lot happens on that highly concentrated, contracted material level of things like words and agreements and signatures and penmanship and agreements and contracts. So I'm for going the whole gamut, all the way from the intention to the broadcasting of that intention, as I am doing now, all the way to the written agreement between parties that say that says we are at peace, we have set down our guns, and we will go to war no more. So that's the outer level, granted, granted, and it's really operational on the inner levels. 
people are not feeling at war inside themselves, they're not going to be seeking to make war outside themselves. And this is a worldview, a cosmo view, if you will, that uh, we all really want to take into consideration or question. Or if we were to take another fraction of the excitement that gets generated around the time of the dropping of the ball here in the Big Apple, we could solve a lot of the issues having to do with our ongoing destruction of our precious and delicate and beautiful ecosystem. And we could marshal the intelligent, effective use of technologies in conjunction with our own personalized change in lifestyle so that our respective footprint becomes vastly reduced, i.e. those of us essentially in the West or the so-called developed countries, why is it that the developed civilized countries have the largest footprint? Wouldn't you think it would be just the other, the opposite? That people who are living in civilized and developed countries would know better than to have such an enormous carbon footprint. But apparently, that ain't the case. <laughs> apparently, everybody wants to have a big footprint and the developing countries don't have one because they haven't gotten there yet to be able to have one. So part of the education we want to bring and visit upon developing nations is don't make the same mistakes we've made. Avoid it. Don't worry. You can have plenty of things that you need for your own comfort and convenience and well-being. No problem. Well, maybe a little bit of a problem. Not generally speaking. There are ways in a very green, eco-friendly, eco-sensitive, carbon-neutral almost way that people can really enjoy many of the things that makes our so-called developed countries, and I use the word broadly and loosely, um, be kind of a, a nice place to live. I mean... You know, we've all gotten accustomed to the conveniences of our lives. There's no question about it. And can we live without them? Yes, I say. Yes, we can. Do we want to? Not really. Conveniences are nice. But if we learned the expense, the ecosystemic expense, well, that may change our minds. Or... We have found that, just as an example, the use of hemp instead of paper, instead of concrete. We have something called hempcrete uh, instead of using drugs like opioids and oxycodone and all of these other pharmaceutical-grade uh, toxic, wholly synthetic drugs. We can use CBD oil. We can even use marijuana. Cannabis is incredible for replacing the 
pharmacological toxic counterparts. And in fact, we are working at bringing about such an evolution. It is happening. It's slow, but it is in motion. So, anyway, I'm sharing with you another perspective on the energy that's generated around the time of New Year's Eve and saying that if we were to take a wee fraction in a few different places of the energy and the excitement and the passion and the commitment that people have toward drinking themselves silly and standing in either the freezing cold or the freezing rain as it was this year. Uh, Well, it wasn't freezing. It was just raining. Um, And used it for something productive and creative for humans, we'd have a different world. The same kind of thing, if you will, applies to the fascination with sports, with soccer, or as it's called everywhere else in the world, football, um, and baseball, and basketball, and American football, and on and on. You know, these are fine, fine sports. I'm a sportsman. I love sports. I love athletics. However, when you look at what goes on and the nationalism and the teamism that goes on, it's just It's like people's entire identity is staked out in whether their team wins or not. Now, of course, the reason it's so important is because it's sort of like country against country. It's not a healthy relationship, by the way. But it's not just one team against another. It's sort of like the underdog and the overdog or the superdog. And it gets expressed through the sport in hand, you know. Um, So, yes, it's the sport. Yes, it's winning. But it's much larger than that. It's this symbolic representation. And uh, all of that is actually rather uh, pedestrian. Uh Uh-oh, I hope I'm not offending anybody. But it really is. And it doesn't have anything to do with some of the joy and excitement of a really well-played game and the sportsmanship. I love it, but it goes so over the top. So often, people end up having fights and riots and madness happening in the stands and outside the stadiums. That's not what this is all about. This is about the celebration of the body, celebration of life and the art of the sport. It's about so much. It's about, you know, human um, victory and glory. A lot gets celebrated through the art of sport. And I love it. I'm an avid tennis player and paddle tennis player myself and ride my bike everywhere and exercise as much as my time allows and yoga and qigong and tai chi chuan and movement of the body is just one of the most uh, magnificent uh, kind of activities we have as a human. Um, Working with one's hands, um, building things with one's hands, even typing if one is doing something meaningful, all of it 
is wonderful. But you understand, it's that psycho-emotional imbalance that gets hit upon, struck, that chord, which is over the top. And then we look at the entire landscape of our lives, say, and we see where is it that we're spending the proportion and preponderance of our time doing or thinking or how are we being. And if we've got a life of 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, 105, 110 years, how is my energy, how is our energy being spent? And that is a question that I think everybody wants to ask. This is one of the good things of the passage from the name of 2018, in this case, to uh, the name of 2019. It represents, talking about representation, a moment of reflection for us to take stock, to take account of our lives and reflect and say, how am I using this precious life force that I've been given? Am I using it prudently? Am I using it wisely? Am I using it for the common good? Am I using it only for myself? And what I define as my family, as in my immediate nuclear family. And it's nuclear because it's always getting blown up in one way or another. Um, But, you know, how we identify ourselves, how we identify who our family is, and who we identify as our brothers and sisters can have a lot of the solution to the problems at hand. For instance, the problem of immigration. If you look and perceive people who live in another country or looking to come into your country as other, as stranger, as alien, as not worthy, as not the same as you, well, you're probably going to have some problems. And if you look at why most countries are in crisis, it's because the larger companies Companies, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just like companies. The larger countries, the larger governments have probably invaded or exploited the resources and the people and the governments of the countries that are now replete with refugees fleeing at one point or another in time or many times or another over time. So, just as a quick example, let's look at, you know, Guatemala and Honduras. The United States has had a fingerprint, if not a footprint, on the necks of the Hondurans and the Guatemalans for many, many, many decades, probably over, uh, probably 100 years. And, um, you know, General Smedley Butler said that he felt that he was basically a mercenary, a hired hand. Here's a general back at the turn of the 20th century, not into the 21st, from the 19th into the 20th. I think it was in the 1920s. General Smedley Butler, you can look him up yourself, who said by sending U.S. troops into, was it Guatemala, I believe, on behalf of what was said to be democracy, was really United Fruit Co., was essentially an aberration and an abrogation of justice. 
There's nothing democratic about it. Quite the contrary. It's leading to an injustice, to the enslavement of the Guatemalan people, the corporatization of their land and their government, and forcing cooperation and forcing the hand of a much smaller, much poorer, much less developed country, technologically developed country, than ours. It's basically the bull in the china shop. It's the bully in the schoolyard, just like we have as president right now. So, wait a minute. Guatemalans are trying to come to the United States now, and they've been coming for decades. Why? Is it that they don't love their country? Or is it because their country has become destroyed through U.S. policy? And there are many people in government who know this. This is not mysterious. And if the present occupant of the White House doesn't know it, well, he doesn't have much of an education. But that wouldn't surprise anybody. So the Hondurans, the Guatemalans, the El Salvadorians, Dorans, the Nicaraguans, and on and on and on this goes. There's a long-term history of the United States, and by the way, not just the United States, although I think we've probably been the major player. Now the Chinese have a finger in it all, and the Koreans may have a finger on it, and the Russians have a little bit of a finger on it, and other, even the Brazilians may have a finger on other countries in South America or Central America. So, Invasion and conquest has been the law of the land, if you will, for century upon century. And it leads, let's look at Syria for a moment. How does this happen? Well, there are lots of reasons. I'm not going to do a really fine-tuned analysis of it. But one aspect of what has happened in Syria is the simple ecosystemic problem of having run out of water in the countryside. The farmers didn't have enough water to irrigate their crops to feed food to their own families and then to the marketplace. Well, guess what? They're going to revolt. They're going to demand that their government take some of that tax money that they themselves have paid into the till and say, please give us back some irrigation technology um, and some ability to water our plants, please, or we're going to have hell to pay. We're going to be hungry, we're going to be thirsty, and we're going to revolt. We have no choice, or we have to move out. So I'm not saying this is the singular cause of what it is that happened in Syria, uh, but it is, I'm going to say, I believe it is a significant cause. And then there was one political and socioeconomic layer after another. There are proxy wars being fought there. Uh, and it starts to get really complicated. You know, the ISIS story, the Russia story, the America story, the Iran story, and the Turkey story, and the Kurdish story, and the Iraqi story, all find a certain confluence in that ancient land, that biblical land, let us have a perspective on this, of Syria. 
Syria has been a major player in Western civilization. You'd never know it now because America is really the young kid on the block. It's the bully in the schoolyard and who's never studied history, you know, to finish the frame, the stereotype. So they don't know really what Syria is or Assyria or Mesopotamia. This is sad, really sad. You know, the Indo-European crescent, the Indus Valley. None of this means much to most Americans. They don't have a clue what it is I'm talking about. Uh, And, I mean, how much sadder can it get that, you know, wrecking balls. And it's not just Americans who are uneducated about this. Uh, People in Syria are. People who are part of ISIS are. People are, um, are, are defined and shaped by their religious beliefs, by their cultural beliefs, by the form of education they have had. And it's layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of what is otherwise a magnificent human being, a representation of the human species that is light and life itself connected to source, source of the universe, and seeking to express itself in human material form. I mean, that's the real story, on top of which we add identity after identity after identity, and before you know it, we're identified with all these other things outside of simply being human or being God's little children or whatever languaging you would like to use. Um, The choices are many. But I think you sense what is happening here. We need to re-disidentify from a lot of these kind of some ways petty things, in other ways archaic things, in other ways sacred things, and appreciate the magnificence of each culture and and accord respect to each of these cultures. Guatemala is largely Mayan. The Maya are some of the oldest people on the planet and wisest and really most technologically advanced if we consider that to be a measure of intellect or creative intelligence, I think that's a fair thing to say. But you'd never know it by the way the United States uses brawn over brightness, you know. Uh, These are some of the problems at hand. I'm just outlining a few. And so as we leave 2018... And we enter what we call now 2019. It has its own numerology. In fact, let me do it right now. 10, 2, 12, 3. Wow, it's a three-year. That's cool. Well, that has its own unique flavorings and its own uh, qualities that will show up as the year moves on. Personally, I found 2018 to be rather tragic in many ways. And a lot of that point of view is born out of, I'm being just 
straight with you out of the very poor choices, uneducated, ill-informed choices of the American people to have um, participated in allowing this man who's now called president, although he doesn't qualify for it in any way, shape, or form, like zero, not like a little, to get anywhere near the White House. Not that I thought that Hillary Clinton was more qualified. Well, maybe in a standardized way, you know, a very quotidian, conventional way that she has the resume that would fit a standard operating politician slash president. From that point of view, yes, but not from an authentic leadership point of view to destabilize the madness that has come to be the corporatocracy that we have of a government that's run completely not for and by the people, but completely by corporations, the richest, wealthiest, most powerful companies and people in the country and some outside the country. They call the shots. It's not a democracy. It hasn't been one really for a long time. Yet within it is a flame of democracy, a germ of democracy, and it can be blown upon, and it can be increased like kindling wood will increase the size of a fire. Absolutely. The structures and the doctrine is in place for Americans, citizens of a given state, can go and, and lobby and present and write and call and fax and meet with their representatives in Congress and demand. That remains alive and intact. Just remember, and we have ample evidence of it, that it will likely get eclipsed by big money. And if the people persist and push and press, and are truly diligent over time, if not very outspoken, then they may in fact see their will be done. And that is a democracy. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be with so much um, corporatized resistance to that. We're not supposed to have uh, congressional representatives who are so torn in their heart and soul about whether they should be doing the people's bidding or the corporate bidding. And they've got their eye on the next election. So you see that they're being torn asunder by their alliances and allegiances and loyalties. And most seek to serve themselves and their own pocket of cash for the next election and sell out the people. But they do it in a very clever way. They do it in a way where they, it, they can do sound bites that look like they are for the people, and indeed, no doubt, many of them, and I want to give credit where credit is due, do vote on behalf of the people. Uh, just not enough. And we shouldn't have to be dealing with such resistance. We should be identified as Americans. And the Congress as Americans first, not as party affiliator, 
affiliation first. That's disgusting. It's actually un-American. The Founding Fathers blew the whistle on it from the get-go. They said at inception, we are not a nation of parties. Parties destroy. I say, politics destroys government. How's that for one? Politics, politicking, jamming people into corners instead of not even just two aisles across the aisle. How come there are only two parties? Why have parties at all? Why not just have people representing people, representing their constituents, and not bother with parties whatsoever that are so partisan, that are so corporatized, that are so easy to control? I mean, my point of view about this goes back to the way uh, Deborah, Deborah Wasserman Schultz with the Clinton uh, Foundation, the Clinton campaign, commandeered uh, the nomination for Hillary instead of for Bernie Sanders, who by any measure, any measure, was the rightful candidate, the Democratic candidate. But they illegally and certainly unethically unseated him and the media was completely complicit in those acts. Otherwise, it is my belief that that uh, Bernie Sanders, as the Democratic candidate for president, would have trounced Trump. He would have trumped Trump. And it wouldn't have even been a discussion. We wouldn't be in this hideously corrupt, horrible, self-interested, narcissistic space we currently are in right now, constantly having to lick our wounds from the madness, from the chaos, from the illegality, from the unethical behavior taking place every day on Capitol Hill, every day in the White House. And so we cannot do the people's work. We cannot do what government is all about, which is building infrastructure, proper protection of the people, and offering olive branches around the world to really make peace, not as a second thought, but as the first thought, not to be promulgating weapon sales, which this president has become quite skilled at. But remember, Obama was very good at it too, and Bush wasn't half bad. So this is what we're dealing with. We're basically dealing with White Houses acting as sales agents and brokers for the military-industrial complex. That's what we have going. And when they're not doing the military-industrial complex, they're doing the pharmaceutical-industrial complex. When they're not doing that, they're doing the chemical-industrial complex. It's ugly. It has nothing to do with what this country was set up to do, which was a pretty fine idea, even though the Constitution itself needs some serious rewiring. And I'm not one who glorifies the Constitution and says, oh, my God, the Founding Fathers, they're so brilliant, and they've done everything so fantastically if we were to only abide by the Constitution. No, I don't believe in a document like that exists 
anywhere, not in the United States of America, not anywhere. Probably the closest you can get is the Earth Charter or the Earth Constitution that I believe was put together in Bolivia and another in Ecuador, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that Eleanor Roosevelt had much to do with connected to the United Nations. Uh, well, later, later adopted. There we have it. We, we've, I'm suggesting that we have strayed so far from the norm, we can hardly recognize what the norm is anymore. It's that far away. It's sort of looking at a picture of yourself as a baby when you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old. Is that me? <laughs> Are you sure? Moi? So, these kinds of thoughts are fertile for this time of year. We're in the incubation period. We're in the hibernation period of the seasons. In Chinese medicine, this is the time of the kidney, of going deep in. If you look at all of the organs in the body, you'll see that the kidneys are the deepest. They're the most hidden. In fact, we access the kidneys from the back. They're so far in, so deep, that that's where we have to go. We don't even enter from the front. We enter from the back. And that's because this is the time that represent the winter and the colors of blue and black and the depth of the water of the ocean. And so we know this is the time of hibernating, it's cold outside. There are no leaves on the trees. And it's a good time for thinking about, for reflecting. And when we reflect, we may see and sense what is core to us, what is truly central, what is really meaningful, and let a lot of the um, fanfare and the embellishment, and the bells and whistles go. So we get to core human. You know, I began thinking, you know, uh, mostly young people, but not just young people. Everyone is guilty of it to some extent these days, of the uh, cell phone being sort of like an extension of the arm um, and the extension of the finger. So the use of it is so so rampant, not random, it is so frequent that people have a hard time kind of getting on without it. They've done studies of showing how often people check their phone for some kind of buzz, some kind of ding, some kind of message, uh, notification, what have you. And it's the work, it's an obsession become an obsession. So I've come to say that we're really sort of half human, half machine right now. We don't have to go into another generation of transhumanism. It's already here. So this is pre-chip. You know? Anyway, just something to think about. I know there are people listening from all over and U.S. politics, while it does affect and influence the whole world, uh, and it sounds like I'm being a little hard on the politicians. It's because I am. 
and but we can really go to places like India and Australia and New Zealand and Mexico and uh, South Africa and UK. We can find some of the same phenomena there too. I'm not trying to say it's exclusively the domain of America, the United States, to have these kinds of problems. No. Um, in fact, I'll never forget when um, G.W. Bush was running and against Al Gore. It's kind of interesting because Gore actually won. Not only did he win the popular vote, but he also won the Electoral College. Um, but you wouldn't know that because the media didn't let you know that, and the Supreme Court even stepped in. So if you got to take a snapshot, GW's uh, father was former president and former director of the CIA. His brother, who where was governor of the state, where most of the problems of illegitimacy of voting took place. It was in that state also that a large portion of the disenfranchised voter happened to have been excluded from voting because they were black and they had committed felonies. And it happens that there's a law in the books in Florida that says felons, even after they've served their time, cannot vote. Well, what kind of law is that in what's supposed to be a free country? If they committed a crime and they were found guilty and they in a court of law and they were sent to serve their time, as it's called, in prison, and then they were released, they are now back to being an American. They finished their servitude, so to speak, or not. Oh, there's a law that prohibits them from being a fully franchised American citizen again? What kind of law is that but a racist one? And when we talk about institutionalized racism, this is what we're talking about. This is one of so many examples of what it looks like. Laws that are passed on the books, usually by by white legislators in respective states across the country make it increasingly difficult for minorities to vote. They have very clever ways of doing this, by the way. And they act as though everything is fine. But what kind of democracy do you have if one of the main parties, by the way, this is about 99.9% Republican. The Democrats have been found guilty of some pretty ugly things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but when it comes to the franchise of voting, as it's referred to, um, it's really a Republican deal. Democrats are, by and large, very much in support of people voting because most minorities vote also for Democrats. If that weren't the case, I would be interested to see if they were as gung-ho about getting people uh, the ability to vote and make it easy for voting to take place. That's another story. So what do we see? But that there's this human substrate beyond the Republican, beyond the Democrat, beyond the color, beyond all of this. 
there is the operation of the human being and how he and she operate in respect to survival. It's a biological phenomenon I'm referring to. And what we have found is that, uh, as Walt Whitman said, we contain multitudes. On one hand, we can be kind and loving and generous and open-hearted and welcoming and brotherly and sisterly, even outside of Philadelphia. And we can be hostile and mean and territorial and judgmental and violent and just things that are just if you were asked who do you want to be what kind of characteristics what kind of attributes what kind of virtues would you like to be known for which would you like to manifest what would you like to be actionable in your lives which of these would you pick I doubt that most people would want to say, hi, uh, please put me in the deranged, violent, territorial, obnoxious, judgmental, racist category, please. I don't think so. I think most people would like to see themselves as cooperative, as just, as loving, as kind, and benevolent, and patient, and generous, and warm, and loving, and compassionate, and maybe even humorous. That, I think, goes for the vast majority of people. When asked, so then why, when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, people act so differently than that? Why is there such a preponderance of trying to keep people from voting or a preponderance of laws that keep people in jail, mainly minorities, mainly black? Do you know that per capita, the United States has more prisoners than any other country, yet we're the land of the free? Oh, really? Well, can you please show me where the freedom is? Please. So, China is said to be communist. Russia is said to always be bumping up against it. You know, all these other countries, uh, Egypt is uh, considered a dictatorship. You know, so wherever you look, you see scourge and problems, and yet you don't see the incarceration rates as you do in the land of the free, home of the brave. Well, Well, what does that all mean? What is it all about, Alfie? So there are some very hard-hitting questions. And I just want to bring these things up because as we look through the tunnel to 2019, in my introduction to what today will be about, is largely involving shaping our future, consciously and deliberately shaping our future. That we say among ourselves, among us girls, that we're going to make the world as we want it. We will be the ones empowered. We will wrestle down the issue of authority. We will stare what is our definition of authority and our attribution of authority in the face. And we will see that we're giving it away all the time. 
leaders and we can have representatives as long as they're doing what the people want. So the re-ownership, if you will, the repossession of this power is in all domains, political, economic, social, spiritual, will allow us, cultural, to grow what we want to grow, to be effective and successful in growing our own food, in cleaning our own water, and where I come from, my own point of view, is that water and food are becoming the true currency of our future. Money is good too. Don't get me wrong. I like it. We need more of it over here. And as do many, many other people across the planet for their very survival. So I had a very interesting conversation with somebody today who said that there are wheels in motion even among some big financial players who are especially evolved, who are particularly hip, who are really into the idea of social and economic justice. That means balancing things out. That means more equity for all. That's a great phrase, EFE. Instead of an ETF, EFE, equity for all where we're not judging people by the color of their skin or the nature of their gender or what have you, but we're actually giving people a chance to make it, as they say, make it, to be able to feed their own families and to care for their families in beautiful ways and maybe even their neighbors and take care of their communities and be active in life of giving, not just taking, and that things spin in circles and in cycles harmoniously instead of with so much resistance and where only the rich get richer. Not fair, folks. It ain't fair because backfire, it can't just go in that direction without some form of correction. It just it, It's unnatural, and nature speaks last. It's just the way it is. And it will manifest in whatever ways the ecosystem, Pachamama, Gaia, sees fit. Not us. We are simply stewards in her game. Even though we uh, tend, we humans, to get drunk with power, that we can do this and that and the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can play a certain role, but at the end of the day, it's not us that are making the ultimate decisions. So when I look through the lens of a better world and what it is we are looking to create, manifest, and express, it's a world in which there's a whole lot more kindness. It's a world in which there's a whole lot more love. It's a world in which there's a whole lot more understanding, patience, and compassion. It's a world where there's a whole lot more humor, not just satire, although I appreciate satire, don't get me wrong, a lot less sarcasm, and a lot of just simple, good, quality, genuine wit. There's a lot of good laughter about ourselves. Um, There's nothing better than taking a good, hearty laugh at ourselves. 
God knows, keeps us in our places. Um, but, and that brings, of course, also the idea of humility. When you add all these things up, you end up getting a world of people who are motivated toward positive action, toward what I refer to as sacred stewardship of taking care of each other and taking care of planet simultaneously and in a way where there's a low carbon footprint and there's thoughtfulness, as the native peoples have always said, across the planet, although this particular idea is uh, probably American-born as far as I know, is looking downstream seven generations. Seven generations. So that our actions today are done having calculated what will be the consequences of seven generations down. Not next week, not next month, not next year, not in just 10 years or 20, but seven generations. That's a whole different way to look and think and perceive And if we can get an inch or two or three closer to that, we're doing a good job. And for those of you who listen with any regularity, you've heard some very powerful people on these airwaves, such as Paul Hawken, such as Guy McPherson, such as Catherine Wilkinson, and other environmental scientists and activists talking about what we're really doing to our planet right now and what the consequences are going to be, some of which are not going to be ripening for three to five to seven years based on what we have done already. So even if we turn everything around now, say per Paul Hawkins' wonderful latest drawdown uh, that spells out, he calls it the most comprehensive plan to date, for reversing global warming. What a powerful title. Even if we were to do everything immediately, following the 80 to 100 solutions in rank order, we would still be experiencing the consequences of past actions up through the next 5, 7, and 10 years. It's called tipping points that we've already tipped. And so being responsible today and this coming year of us all collectively is the best thing that we can do. And I do believe in the frequencies and vibrations of love and compassion and the power of intention. I was laughing a little bit at the beginning because the amount of actions that need to be uh, brought about are so so great and so vast, uh, I have to say that it is incumbent upon us all to both do the intending and do the praying and do the meditating and do the blessing work and all the other things having to do with uh, our lifestyle choices, reducing our own carbon footprint and being proactive in the world to make a difference by making certain kinds of life choices and supporting organizations such as A Better World and so many others. So many others are so worthy 
of support, Pachamama Alliance, the Hunger Project. There are so many. Uh, NRDC, uh, the Rainforest Alliance, uh, the Rainforest Action Network. Oh, it just goes on and on and on. Of people that are doing earth justice, that are doing fabulous work to protect human life, all sentient life, and the planet. So I encourage you all to step up in whatever ways you can to be part of the solution. God knows we need it. And if we all do some piece of it, 2019, no matter who is so-called in power, it's really going to be us. We're the ones that are going to be in power. We just don't take no for an answer. Just keep going. Keep going. Wherever you may live, it's all the same. It's we humans doing what's right and doing what we can to, if I may say, create a better world. Well, anyway, I want to just thank you all for tuning in, and there's more to come. We're going to have a very exciting year. I wish you all the best of health and the the best of everything in this coming year. And uh, please forward our our podcasts to your friends and your family and your coworkers and spread the word on uh, the mission of a better world. So we really reach the hearts and minds and souls of people across the planet and we can really build a coalition that can make a difference. So please remember that we are also a nonprofit. We so appreciate your contributions to us and uh, we also appreciate appreciate any legacy giving, whatever forms is possible. We also could really use some interns. Um, and while that would be best locally, it's not at all um, limited to that. People who have really good social media skills and sales skills and administrative skills are all welcome. Website as well as video editing we sorely need. So please, if interested, just email me directly to mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. I love hearing from you anyway, and any suggestions of topics that you most enjoy, appreciate, or want to hear more about, I love to hear about those too. So on that note, if so, let me also remind you that we also offer all sorts of coaching and counseling services here, energy balancing services. It's all on the websites of betterworld.tv and mitchellrabin.com. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B as in boy, I-N.com. This is Mitchell J. Rabin signing off for today, and I look forward to seeing you all. <laughs> <laughs>